This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. An anniversary has us shifting our attention to Ecuador. This week marks two years since the founder of WikiLeaks sought asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. We'll discuss the case of Julian Assange and what that means for diplomacy and various Ecuadorian policies. And we'll also discuss the shifting environmental policies that concern Ecuador's Yasuni Park. But first, Megan Eckhamel is back this week, and she has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. The president of Colombia, Juan Manuel Santos, won a second term this week. He beat former finance minister Oscar Ivan Zuluaga by more than five percentage points in the election. President Santos thanked Colombians for a heavy voter turnout that had him winning by a comfortable margin. Thank you for your vehement and passionate support during the second round of elections. And thank you for being decisive in this triumph. Javier Suelisa of the International Crisis Group in Bogota reacted to the president's victory via Skype. He says although the majority of Colombians backed Santos and his efforts to end the country's long civil war, Colombia remains polarized. So while Santos offers this second term as the end of the conflict, as he said in uh, his uh, victorious uh, speech, uh, the other half that has voted for Zuluaga are very skeptic on the prospects of a peace with a guerrilla that has been here, has been in Colombia for half a century. The president's victory means a continuation of the peace process with both of the country's rebel groups. Negotiators working with the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the FARC, in Havana, Cuba, must now determine the details of a ceasefire and disarmament as the final phase of that negotiating process. U.S. Vice President Joe Biden will convene a special regional meeting on immigration in Guatemala today, Friday, June 20th. Biden will be meeting with the presidents of Guatemala and El Salvador and official representatives of the Honduran government in response to the influx of tens of thousands of unaccompanied immigrant children into the U.S. this year. The number of such children coming illegally to the U.S. without their parents has reached more than 40,000 this year. That's 10 times what it was in 2011. Some of the children making the illegal trip are as young as six years old. The World Cup wrapped up its first week in Brazil. Chile defeated World Cup defending champion Spain 2-0, putting Spain out of the contest. It's the fastest knockout for a defending champion ever. In another game highlight, Mexico's goalie made six saves while playing against Brazil. The match ended in a tie. Protests popped up in Brazil's periphery, including in the southern city of Curitiba and the northern city of Natal, and a few thousand marched in Sao Paulo demanding the approval of a low-income housing plan. But for the most part, the mood in Brazil has shifted from supporting protests to taking part in the festivities. Key matches in the next week include Mexico versus Croatia, Uruguay versus Italy, 
and Argentina versus Nigeria. For Latin Pulse, I'm Megan Eckhamel. Thanks, Megan. The complicated tale of Julian Assange has inspired films, charged debates, and created international incidents. But for the past two years, it has all originated from the small embassy that Ecuador maintains in London. Fearing British authorities were about to extradite him to Sweden, Assange sought asylum through Ecuador. Assange still faces sexual assault charges in Sweden after two women filed complaints against him. But Assange accuses Swedish authorities of actually pursuing him not for the sexual assault charges, but to turn him over to the United States. For years, U.S. authorities have investigated Assange and the organization he founded, WikiLeaks. That organization gained international fame through the release of diplomatic cables and other classified documents. The former member of the U.S. military, known now as Chelsea Manning, provided one of the largest compilations of documents to WikiLeaks for release. So far, the British government has spent about $11 million on security guarding Assange during the past two years. We asked Rob Albro for his analysis of Assange and his connections to Ecuador. Albro is a research associate professor at American University's Center for Latin American and Latino Studies. Here are excerpts from our conversation. The Assange case is about, obviously, the WikiLeaks events of several years ago, where through newspapers like The Guardian and The New York Times and others, uh, WikiLeaks was able to put out a whole variety of information of uh, previously classified and not always classified uh, U.S. government documents about activities that the U.S. government wasn't interested in being known. And this set in motion a process that has continued of the sort of evolution of the relationship of the state to its control over information and the relationship of that increasing lack of control to kind of problems of image management as they are part of diplomacy and the way that states interact with one another in the world. Of course, the Snowden affair of last year is a good example of how this has evolved subsequently. I'm glad you brought up the Snowden affair from last year it, because Ecuador seemed to embrace the idea of giving Julian Assange asylum as a way to make a statement about diplomacy and about U.S. power in the world two years ago. Last year, though, when Snowden was looking for a place and seemed to be stranded somewhere between China and the airport in Moscow, it looked like the Ecuadorians were going to step in, and then they stepped back. Right, absolutely. And it's quite interesting to note that, in fact, Assange had a role. He uh, apparently was working with the ambassador in London, the Ecuadorian ambassador, to provide Snowden with uh, safe passage documents that were critical in getting him from Hong Kong to to Russia. And that was happening at a time when Ecuador looked to be the odds-on favorite for Snowden to uh, um, ask to seek asylum. Correa, Rafael Correa, Ecuador's president, surprisingly came out uh, criticizing that move and suggesting that the authority of the, uh, that the ambassador had exceeded his authority and that he would face consequences. At the same time, there had been a very amicable meeting between uh, Correa and U.S. Vice President Biden, where they discussed the Snowden affair, and Biden asked, this is important to underscore, asked that Ecuador not extend asylum. 
And this was in the context of discussions around preferential trade sanctions or preferential trade agreements with Ecuador. And uh, it, the suggestion seems to be that at least on balance in this particular case, the preferential trade agreements were a, an important part of the thinking of the Korea administration for why it was the case that it wouldn't make good sense for them to accept uh, Snowden. They also characterized Snowden early on as a spy whereas with Assange they saw him in very different terms than espionage. He was a freedom fighter uh, you know, uh, for the freedom of information, very different framing. And yes, the origins of Assange and Snowden are of course very different in that Snowden worked in the intelligence community. Uh, Assange has been all about trying to release information, and certainly a debate about whether you might consider him a journalist or not but certainly someone fighting for transparency. Well, I mean, you know, the Assange event at the moment of the WikiLeaks uh, U.S. controversy was part of, is part of the beginning of an ongoing churn around just exactly what the role of journalism is domestically and internationally. And what, what we've seen in Ecuador is fascinating because, of course, as you know, Rick, uh, President Correa has been very um, critical of Ecuador's own domestic media which has not in large part um, supported him as a president, but routinely criticizes his administration in a variety of ways. And he's been clear that this is something that he won't tolerate, and in fact has gone to great lengths to influence the way that the media in Ecuador reports the news, particularly around politics, to the point of putting, finally uh, uh, helping to encouraging approval of a communications law in Ecuador that puts definite limits on what the media can and can't re report about and then also includes clear statements about consequences if they overstep their authority in this affair. The media in Ecuador, for example, cannot take sides in political campaigns, cannot support a candidate, it cannot be, appear to be criticizing uh, incumbents in office in any direct way which uh, for Correa's administration is often equated with libel or slander or uh, personality uh, assassination, character assassination. So you've got this funny double discourse around journalism in the media coming from the Correa administration, one about the international space and one about the domestic space, one about U.S. power and the power of information coming from uh, from the Korea point of view, kind of imperial centers, and one about uh, balancing what he would understand to be an imbalanced uh, sort of journalism landscape in Ecuador, which has its sources in you know the uh, private elites and the ownership of elite ownership of, of uh, key sources of media in that country. We have covered some of those issues in the past, but it does seem like a double standard, a contradiction to be supporting Assange and then also uh, controlling the media through various laws. Well, it was very fascinating. Just this year, the Korea administration um, raided the office or home of an opposition politician uh, claiming that uh, he had access to um, materials about the Ecuadorian government that he should not have and described it as a case of espionage. And these seem to be emails of key uh, Ecuadorian officials and uh, documents, of state documents, which 
from the point of view of the opposition official, proved that there was significant corruption in various places in the Ecuadorian state. And so uh, he was raided and the computers removed. This would seem to be a sort of anti-Assange um, orientation. And the law, in fact, put in place last year would make it impossible for an Ecuadorian Julian Assange to go about doing the same thing that Assange has done for the United States. Let's talk about the diplomatic situation because last year at the anniversary, the one-year anniversary, there was talk that the Ecuadorians were going to figure out a way to deal with the British in 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 getting this resolved in some way, shape, or form. Right. And Assange was quoted as saying, I'm prepared to stay in this embassy for at least five more years. It looks like that's going to be tested at this point. Perhaps, perhaps not. I mean, the he has... He can stay in that embassy indefinitely, at least until 2022, uh, by the account of the uh, Ecuadorians. There's some sign that, given his personal uh, characteristics, they're growing rather tired of him living in their embassy. Can you tell us about some of those? Well, I mean, he's, he's generally not considered to be a terribly nice individual. There's some hygiene questions. This is all... You know, what happens when people are stuck living places and can't leave for long periods of time. And and this embassy is very small, apparently. Yes. So, you know, you're going to work, and here's Julian, Julian Assange, you know, in your workspace on a daily basis. You know, he's... Um, several uh, journalists have tried to do books on Assange, and they've been unsuccessful. Um, and generally, the folks who have been with him for a significant period of time, including his, his former girlfriend you know, have described him in general terms as vain, secretive, paranoid, jealous, and significantly sexist. All of that as personal characteristics of the man, and then you have, of course, the fact that Assange is not really important because of those personal characteristics. But sort of stepping back from that, Ecuador currently still seems to accept the explanation that Assange has offered that this is a pretext to get him out of the embassy so as to then be extradited to the United States, where Assange has suggested he might be tortured. Whether that's a plausible uh, scenario or not, uh, we don't know, but certainly there are now precedents for this kind of thing, and this is what happens when, you know, when thing, uh, you know questions like torture become easily uh, available to media scrutiny. Um, the plausibility of those possibilities you know, they become plausible. Uh, meanwhile, the British are beginning to complain about the cost of security that they've maintained around the Ecuadorian embassy because it's uh, under 24-7 surveillance, and the suggestion is they should just walk away, uh, which, which raises the issue of whether or not that kind of level of security and surveillance will be continued. Um, if it isn't, then there are any number of scenarios that might lead to Assange discreetly leaving the embassy. But at this point, no one has any real idea or indication of what that would be. When you talk about surveillance, there have been incidents where they've found bugging devices there right. to monitor him. Yes, and he assumes that he's under surveillance. Uh, but at the same time, he's going about his business. I mean, he routinely um, engages with his WikiLeaks work. A few months ago, he publicly stated that there will be more WikiLeaks uh, documents coming out. When and about what, he was, he was unclear, but that seems to be in the works. So WikiLeaks is actively functioning, and he's engaged with it in the ways that he has been. 
He, Assange, uh, spends a tremendous amount of time Skyping, guest speaking, uh, making all kinds of guest appearances. He was just on South by Southwest. Um, so his media superstar status as a desirable uh, talking head has not in any way diminished. And if anything, he's kind of running that business, you know, from the embassy and quite successfully. Thank you, Rob Albro, Research Associate Professor at American University's Center for Latin American and Latino Studies, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thanks, Rick. A man is found guilty of trafficking Brazilian women to the UK to make them work as prostitutes. The head of an international trafficking network is jailed in Romania, and three people are sent to prison in America for operating a Mexican baby smuggling ring. Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Environmental experts call Ecuador's Yasuni National Park one spot on Earth that may have the most biodiversity per acre. The park covers almost 4,000 square miles of the Amazon rainforest on Ecuador's eastern border. Up until last year, Ecuador's President Rafael Correa supported a plan to get the international community to raise $3.6 billion to pay Ecuador to keep the park mostly in an undeveloped condition. But Correa has shifted his position and now supports oil drilling in the park as a way to get what his government says could be huge oil reserves. Ecuadorian government sources say the reserves could be worth from 7 to $18 billion. But Correa's shifting policies have produced anti-government protests and a petition movement. That movement submitted three-quarters of a million signatures to the government in an attempt to set a national referendum on Yasuni. But last month, the government ruled most of the signatures were not legitimate. We caught up with Dr. Teodoro Bustamante at the recent Congress of the Latin American Studies Association, LASA, in Chicago. Bustamante is part of the Latin American Faculty of the Social Sciences in Ecuador, or FLAXO, by its Spanish abbreviation. Here are excerpts from our conversation on the Yasuni. Uh, let's say Yasuni is uh, an area, uh, 800,000 hectares, uh, which is big for the size of Ecuador, of uh, rainforests, one of the, an area in which, uh, for instance, this area, Yasuni, has the record in the number of, I don't know how you say that on, on in English, coleoptera, uh, the uh, Biodiversity? Type, uh, yeah, yes, um, and it is the, the, si- the place in the world in which you have found the most number of different species of uh, uh, this order of uh, insects. The, the, in Latin you say coleoptera. Beetles. Uh, uh, yeah, beetles, exactly. That's uh, the family, the, the order of the beetles. Yeah. And uh, so it is very, very, very big on the, on the biodiversity. There are huge number of orchids, of fishes in the lakes. There is very, very, uh, a very big diversity. The proposal was one that said, okay, we are not going to take oil from this Yasuni National Park. And uh, we're asking the environmental community, the international community to pay us half what we would take if, if, if oil was uh, taken from this place. 
and that is going to be a very important issue for the conservation of these uh, of this richness of this biodiversity of this uh, ecosystem which is uh, so important and the campaign started and as the campaign unfolded c- certain things started to happen one of them was that the suddenly the person that was in charge of doing this project of convincing donors of what he get in problem, got in problem with the president the pre- and the president dismissed him a uh, commitment of the German government was to be signed uh, and what happened the government the German government didn't uh, didn't sign so a little uh, 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 quite a few things started to happen and uh, in a, in a certain moment the, all the quit, all, all the team that was building this proposal uh, they decided to quit because they felt uh, well actually in that same week that the the thing with the german government was going to be signed the government uh, started uh, made a very strong discussions and make an, a diplomatic incident with the german ambassador in quito so everything was n- nothing was done so, so something's wrong there if you are asking somebody uh, will you help us with your money and the same day a week before they said okay we are going to help you and you say no we don't want this person we are uh, angry at him something didn't is not work so i'm help us understand that president korea who was this this was his idea to to get the international community to come in and and help with yasuni that now the government seems very restrictive on this issue of the democracy and 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 the resolution so why has the president changed his opinion about how this is proceeding well maybe it's a detail i don't think that was his idea that was i think that it was the idea of his former ministry of of energy alberto costa who was the person that was dismissed, uh, the person I was talking about, one of the persons that w- I was talking about. And uh, th- there is, in, in, in this, um, that's an important question because it, it, it does not apply only to environmental issues, it applies to human rights, it applies very strongly to Indian situation. The president came into office with a very strong pro-Indian discourse. He was, uh, and he's, uh, he made a very strong uh, point in his program that he will be reinforcing all the rights of the Indian people and that. The fact is that n- there has been no other government in Ecuador that has persecuted more Indian leaders than this one. But how does this uh, arrive? What happens with this? Obviously, there is a pro- uh, there is a certain margin of things. Uh, governments in Ecuador were quite soft with uh, with protests. So maybe the government said, "Well, we are, we are going to put order, and if somebody starts to protest certain things, we are going to find them, and we are going to put a little bit of order on this." Maybe that's a part of the issue. But anyway, there is a very clearly a, a shift in the backup that the, that the government is looking for. The, in the first moment, the government was needing votes. And he, he was doing everything to get votes. 
he got the vote. And now he's quite, he, he has the control of the parliament, he has control of many of the institutions, but he is a little bit in need of another thing, and that's money. And before he had lots of money, and he had to fight for the, for the votes. Now uh, he has had the, I would say he has capitalized the effects of having votes, which is to have a parliament in which the government party has, I think it is uh, 72% of all the uh, uh, people in the parliament. So everything he wants go, uh, gets into the parliament and, and, and is approved. He has changed all the Supreme Court, he has changed most of the laws, he has power. He has no problem with power, but he's having problem with money. Yeah? And so, so before he could make this, uh, this, uh, this speech and say, I will sacrifice half of my income in order to build this nice proposal that is going to spare for the world, that is going to save uh, all these r biological richness and there's an also another issue and th that another issue is the uncontacted peoples the Indians who don't want to be part of uh, modern modern society and who continue to live in uh, and each time they, they met another person they will st start to fight they don't want to have uh, they're quite aggressive because they want to maintain things apart from and it was another so, uh, a solution to that other problem too. This proposal, in which we are not going to take oil from that place, so no, conservation is to be, that nature is to be conserved, and these peoples are going to be, be left as they have been for, for many years. Uh, this change, now my money is running out. I need more money. What, where can I get money? And I get money, the, the attitude that the government has is, well, I can get money from mining. And mining happens, mines happen to be in Indian lands. But in order to convince certain Indians that it is good to have the, the, the mines in their lands exploited. Some agree, some not. Yeah? That means division. And when those that oppose start to react, there are many, many lawsuits against them. There are many... There is a strong repression on, on, on them. More or less the same thing happens with oil. Before we could say we don't need this oil and maybe we can sacrifice a little bit of it. But all the, well, that is the general, I would say, the general uh, situation of this initiative. Let me ask you this that Earlier you said that there's already development going on in the Yasuni and many people believe that it's still pristine and that this is a fight over whether it will be developed. You're telling us there's already development going on. No, it, is, it is quite important to say that. The, why the, the proposal was not successful? And many people say, well, because the government didn't, in a certain moment, dismiss the person that was doing this and that. My, my analysis is a little bit saying, well, actually, the proposal was not very well done. It was not consistent. And there are some, some issues that have to be mentioned in relation to that. One of that is that, uh, actually, in Yasuni, there are about 12 oil blocks, oil fields. The ones that are in question, involved in this decision, are three out of those 12. 
and in six of of the of those twelve, there's already oil production. So something. So the, all the proposal of conservation by not producing oil in that national park is a little bit inconsistent because you are already taking oil out of uh, of, uh, of six of those fields. Thank you so much, Teodoro Bustamante of Flaxo in Ecuador, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Well, I thank you for the opportunity. To see more debate on the environment, next week check out the AULA blog, which will feature a piece on climate change. You can find the blog online at AULAblog, all one word, dot net. That's AULAblog.net. And if you're looking for our program, Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and MusicaQ. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Megan Eckhamel, writer Alisa Pacheco, and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music by Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2014, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>